Everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Resistance Broadcast. I'm John. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we are going to be doing a reaction slash review of the documentary, The Skywalker Legacy, that is attached to the bonus features of The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, joining me as always, James and Lacey. Guys, how's it going? Going good. 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 I'm excited. Um, we had two out of three criers. We won't reveal who. Maybe later. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're going to get into it here, kind of do a uh, chronological cruise through so that we kind of don't aren't rambling and bouncing all over the place just to keep this thing structured. We're going to try to keep it around an hour, but get to uh, all the good points of that. Um, and so to, to kick things off, uh, let me just uh, ask you guys, did you guys um, enjoy the documentary? Yes, absolutely. 100%. I actually enjoyed it, I think, more than the director and the Jedi. Hmm. I think it did a good job of tying the old with the new and bringing mm-hmm. it all together. Whereas director, director and the Jedi was cool because it was just the one movie. But I don't know. There were just so many parallels with the original trilogy and even the prequels that make you appreciate what they did with the rise of Skywalker more mm-hmm. than my initial reaction, which I loved the film. It's just it, you pick up things that you didn't pick up when you saw it. Oh, without a doubt. Um, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I definitely think that the that this documentary uh, also helped, along with the novelization as well, which which is out on Tuesday. Um, but both of those together expand on ideas that I don't think people had thought about. A lot of this because it's like, you know, JJ explaining it and like producers and writers and stuff like mm-hmm. talking about their reason why they did things and stuff. And it's like, Oh, that's mm-hmm. very eye opening. I actually will say I felt there was a very noticeable lack of prequels. I think there's only like three clips from the prequels in it. Mm-hmm. So It might be because like, that stuff's already out there. So they're showing you stuff that you haven't seen before. Maybe. I mean, that's fair. I think th- I think the other thing, too, is there was a specific quote that said, like, we're going back to the beginning where it started. And I was like, well, where it started was episode one. You know, this is all the way through. But I, I understand yeah, but what you mean by that statement. But they're talking this, about when you're talking about the Skywalker legacy. You know, that's I don't a, know. Yeah, yeah that, they, they're talking about it from a movie making how this franchise came about perspective. I think also the from the Leia, Han, Luke perspective, like they're not in the prequels and this yeah. the, this trilogy was tying all that up. So Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get into it with the, the Anthony Daniels stuff and the George Lucas mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. it, it starts with a flashback to the original trilogy and, and um, you know, George Lucas saying, you know, this is my space fantasy and that's what I kind of refer to. And um, you have these fans waiting outside of uh, the set for Return of the Jedi and Jabba's sail barge, which I thought was very cool. Mm-hmm. And says when they eventually make all nine. Uh, that w- that was sh- strange. Did that guy just throw that out there? Because that wasn't on the table at that point as far as I know. 
I think it was. I think George Lucas had said, well, the picture these, you know, nine movies. And yeah, Mark also Hamill said, 12 said it too. too. Yeah. yeah, Mark Hamill said nine a lot in interviews, like old interviews, like, oh, and then they're going to do the last three. Yeah, he did. and But then also there's clips even in this documentary. He's like, and this, this is it. This is the last one. It's like being a senior in high school and then you're going home and that's it. Yeah. And, but then, but it know. is the last one of that trilogy. Yeah. You know? But yeah. And then they kind of uh, take the old uh, film style and kind of phase in new shots from behind the scenes of The Rise of Skywalker. And then it brings you into HD mode where it's like, here we are in first day one of the rise of skywalker and everyone's coming back and i like how they kind of did the flashback when daisy first started john first started and um oscar isaac first started compared to mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. um you guys have any takeaway from that or any feels of uh how they started this thing um just kind of right out of the gate right from they go from george lucas to like bang here we go we're gonna start and this is day one of the rise of skywalker um i felt that, that i loved that daisy I feel for Daisy in the sense that this was obviously her first big movie. She grew with the part, kind of Kathleen Kennedy brought that up, like how she grew like Ray did through training and learning and being in the spotlight and stuff like that. But her saying that she's nervous at all times, I like felt for that. I was like, me too, Daisy. (laughs) She was like, I'm just always nervous. And then the other thing that stuck out to me was, um, first of all, John Boyega loves being on camera. It's very apparent mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout this whole thing. He's like the constant narrator of this this uh, documentary. Yeah. And then JJ standing on the Falcon just talking about how weird it is to be back. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. That really stuck out to me. How he's like, it's just weird being here. I thought I was done with this. And here I am. And I was like, I feel for that. Like, he went through this whole process of like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, you need me to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he said... I just noticed a lot of really cool J.J. Abrams shirts. Oh, he did have a lot of cool shirts. He has like a Trixie Burger shirt that I was the, like, I want that shirt. And that's why he <laughs> named it the the product, uh, production name, I guess. He must have liked that burger place. Like, that's why he called it Trixie, I guess. People were thinking it was this big, deep thing. Maybe. But he's, he's wearing this t-shirt that said Trixie Burgers on it. And maybe it was his favorite burger joint. You know? And it had episode nine in it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was spelled the same. Um, but then one thing J.J. said that made me like... I'm going to bring this up a lot, this like feeling, because I kind of relate to it because, you know, Lacey, we were like the first people to really technically see the movie before any like, you know, um, influence from other people's thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Very fresh. Just mm-hmm. there's me in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you see J.J. Abrams sitting there saying, you know, the, all the pressure to, to make the first one or, or The Force Awakens. And he's like, and, and we did it. And I dodged a bullet. And... In other words, like he dodged the bullet of the critique because everyone liked TFA and he's sitting there making mm-hmm. what the Rise of Skywalker, not knowing that there's going to be so much vitriol pointed at him for that movie. It's like when yeah. you see the, the gazelle drinking from the water and then he doesn't know that it's about to get an alligator snapping at it. Uh, you yeah. just kind of feel bad for him there when he's saying stuff like that. And I feel I felt a lot of that throughout this documentary. But um, just hearing everyone saying they love working with J.J., and that sort of thing out of the gate. And, you know, they kick it off day one with a very fun vibe. You feel like there's a lot of fun energy on that set. Um, John dancing with Claude. Yeah, people like <laughs> so ex- weird. excited to be back and that sort of thing. There's yeah. a lot of energy and, and fun in the room. And, and um, we heard stuff about that. But then being able to see it is uh, like almost being there. Um, I like how they did it in order of how they shot it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, because I, I yeah. feel like sometimes documentaries bounce around and they show you the end and then bounce to the beginning and then like I liked that they were like okay day one we're at day one then we're doing this then we're doing this yeah and this is the final scene and whatever which we'll get to but I, I really agree. enjoyed that it went from the beginning to the end and it was long two hours yeah yeah it was about almost as long as the movie yeah um but I yeah I think director and the Jedi was pretty long too but mm-hmm. and people have been making comparisons to that because th- that's what people always do is they make the comparisons. But I completely felt like, different. Yeah, I felt like director and the Jedi was more of like this is Ryan Johnson's experience, his POV of making a movie as a director. Whereas this is we're making a Star Wars movie and everyone's involved. Like Ryan Johnson was in almost every aspect of that documentary. Whereas this, they kind of bounce around all these different people, and that's a different type of mm-hmm. documentary. They um, interviewed a lot of different people in this one, that, and yeah. that's why I think I enjoyed it more, is because you heard from the props guy mm-hmm. and like the visual effects trainee, yeah, you know, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Which I was like, I'm pumped that it's not just actors and JJ. Yeah, I, I thought the the big takeaway from it was the lead stunt coordinator. What was her name? Oh, Eunice. Joanna? Yeah. Eunice era. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll get to her. In a I was bit. like, dude, she's in so many scenes, and they, t- <laughs> you know, interview yeah. her, and they all seem to like really love her. And she's just seems to always be there. Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm gonna try to keep us on a chronological order here, so we're not bouncing too much around, because um, we want to keep this tight. But they they do mention that the new generation carries this movie for the first time, so that was their focus. It wasn't um, an accident that they marketed it that way, and. They, they built the story that way, but then they go into this whole thing about Princess Leia and they show the old interviews with Carrie Fisher and that sort of thing. Uh, did that hit you guys like it hit me? Because seeing her... And I cry for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> in this wh- whole wh- thing. Which part? Because there was one part uh, it made me like, it's um, a little sad. It was the part where it's the old footage of Carrie Fisher talking about how Leia is braver than her and more aggressive than her and how she'll always be known as Princess Leia just as other people are known for mm-hmm. other characters. Mm-hmm. I think she gave um, the example of Gone with the Wind. Like, she'll always be known for that Scarlett role. Scarlett O'Hara, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm always going to be known for this role. And it's true. Mm-hmm. But then, like, I don't know, it just struck a chord with me when she was just like, and then I'll, I wish I could be like her and be strong like her. And I was like, oh my God, I can't. And I'm just crying, just crying. Started immediately. <laughs> just... <laughs> And that's not the only, this whole video, it's going to be like, okay, this is the second time I cried. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 I got worse as it went on, I felt. Um, but <laughs> when she said, uh, I'm going to be known as Princess Leia till I'm 85, that killed me. Yep. That's the same clip. I know, but her, her saying 85 and she, she left at 60. Like, yeah, that just, that sucks. Um, but hearing, they, I'm glad they went back and, and showed us some interviews from TFA with Carrie right. Fisher, where she's like, J.J. Abrams absolutely loves this franchise and he loves these movies, and um, you, it makes you think that if she was around for Episode Nine, she'd be happy that he was coming back and that sort of thing. And how much, uh, and we could probably get into it a little bit more, but how much Billy Lord uh, supported what they were doing, and J.J. did that kind of speech when they were doing the first Carrie scene. And he's like, mm-hmm. I would ask for a moment of silence, but she wouldn't like that. So let's just try to um, celebrate her life. And then he turns to Billy and says, like, almost like, do you want to say something? And she's like, no, like, you got it or whatever. And I like that moment. It was very quick. But I thought it was crazier that they built the whole movie around her, basically. Like, they they tell you that. They're like, we found lines. We would send over the lines. And then they'd be like, how can we do this? And then they lined it up perfectly with different characters. And they sketched it out. It's like crazy. It made me laugh so, that one clip of Rose being like, 
like the, the animated rose yeah, reacting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember if I said it on the pod or if I said it on like a pay- Patreon thing or something, but I remember making note of that, that there's only so many ways you could do it. And one of the ways would be starting with what you have and then making the story, writing the story around like specific sentences, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that's wow. what they did. And dailies. Like they, they were saying they pulled dailies yeah. from TFA and stuff. So. Um, just insane the amount of, um, and we've talked about it, the amount of uh, yeah. care they put into that. Um, a little but, side note, though. Mm-hmm. We see, for the first time in action, the animatronic Maz, which is a combination of a puppet and someone in a kind of motion capture suit that's also part of the animatronic. So that's mm-hmm. what they meant, I think, by motion capture <laughs> and puppet. Yeah. is like they had someone wearing this thing that it, was like yeah. making your move. The, the new technologies that they put forth in this movie that I had seen before blew me away. Yeah. Um, and there's one part later um, that I thought was CG that wasn't absolutely blew my mind. Um, but next, uh, stunts. Speaking of not CGI stuff, uh, like Eunice. you were just saying, James. Um, yeah, Eunice Huthart, uh, who was working with Daisy, both Daisy and Adam. Uh, any takeaways from from uh, the the breakaway star from this documentary, who I've been trying to find contact information for, by the way, James. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, just that I think when it first started, I was like, okay, so this is this is like the stunt section and we're talking about the stunts here and this was the person who was involved in it and I didn't think anything of it. And then throughout every other section of this documentary, this person just kept popping up and kept yes. popping up and kept yes. popping up. And I was like, I, it almost became like a secondary game. Like, where is that person? I know they're on that set. that there she is, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, she, it's it was just funny to me because I kept seeing like, oh, well, of course, like there's a lot of stunts in this movie. So they're going to be here for like almost everything. And uh, it, it she felt almost even more than like a second unit director. It felt like she was just there all the time, yeah. like Chris Terrio. You know, yeah. I saw I feel like I saw more of her than Chris and Kathleen. You know, it's just yeah. uh, I was like, this person is around a lot. And it's very important because I mean, the movie is so many stunts that yeah. having that person there is great. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was crazy that, you know, Daisy and Adam did a lot of the stunts themselves and all the fighting themselves, but particularly with Adam, like he was very particular in being like, I'm doing all of this. Mm-hmm. And I loved how Eunice was like, no, we got into a huge fight about it. And I was like, if you're bad, I'm throwing in a stunt guy. And he's like, I won't be bad. Right. <laughs> and then he, yeah. he ended up doing it himself, which is just so cool because it just goes back to that thing we always say where it's like actors are really into it. They're really passionate. They want to be a part of it that's one more step into that is they're willing to put their own safety and you know physical bodies into the role like that where you're on wires and you're jumping around you're doing all this stuff it's it's risky too because if they get hurt then you're shutting down production um like harrison ford yeah 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 uh, yeah that's a perfect example right and it happened on a jj abrams movie so yeah, yeah it's actually kind of odd to me that you're you were saying that Lacey, because when i heard that i was like thinking to myself is that like something that people respect anymore like i do my all, all own stunts absolutely I, like, I don't you do really i thought absolutely. like the, i thought the push these days were for stunt nominations at the oscars and and giving more jobs to these people and like actors coming in and and risking the entire production against things like that was like 
kind of I, the way that people I think were you're moving crossing, their opinions on stunts. I think you're crossing two things. Like people that do stunt work definitely deserve to be recognized, mm-hmm. but I think there's also yeah. t- something to be said for people that do their own stunts, like Adam Driver or Tom Cruise that do everything themselves. Well, like, also, that's awesome. You know, I, I would say ask the stunt people that question, and they would say, "I'd rather." get paid to, oh, to do course, the work. Yeah. Yes, of the course, yeah. Yes, the stunt person. I know, but... But if you ask a... I know, but I'm saying... Oh, okay. If you ask a director, they want the um, the organic feel of the do actual they? act. It's riskier. No, I think if they're able to do a stunt, they consult with the stunt people who were the stunt coordinators. They're like, this person yeah. could do this stunt or we'll take care of them or this, that, the other. Um, but it's interesting that with the Adam Driver thing, though, because because his character is in a mask for those sequences they're talking about, they could have easily have gotten a 6'3 stuntman to yep. do it. Uh, so it wasn't like the, I need the facial recognition. It needs to be Adam Driver's mm-hmm. face. And uh, just uh, even wanting to make sure he had the right nuances and stuff um, shows... <laughs> No, like characters personality aside just right. like everyone has their own body language like you could see a friend walking down the street and you could almost recognize it's them if you know them really well by how they move and right. that's really important um and i think that's something they didn't necessarily pay attention to back in the original trilogy uh with like the seven people who played darth vader in varying fights and, and that sort of thing but um i was just watching like die hard the other day and it's you could so see the stuntman and it just takes me out of the movie that's besides the point <laughs> i just like that she was like adam was like oh kylo ren wouldn't move this way and she's like i don't care you don't get power if you don't do this yeah move. right exactly yeah <laughs> um and then he touched base uh lightly on you know kylo ren's path and how jj said um from the beginning um from tfa he said you're like the opposite of darth vader where you mm. start uh, you're most vulnerable, whereas he ends up his most vulnerable. I thought that was interesting. But then, then we go into uh, the return of Palpatine, and I really like this part a lot, seeing uh, Ian McDiarmid come back. And to me, it further squashes those criticisms of, you know, uh, oh, they should have had a younger person play Palpatine or this, that, the other, and, you know, did they have to bring him back? Uh, seeing everyone's uh, almost fan boy and fangirling over him coming back in the makeup like these veteran seasoned actors acting like little kids like i got a real kick out of that but uh any takeaways from uh this segment about uh, ian mcdarmer coming back Lacey? i am going to fully admit (laughs) on the record that i've completely changed my position about palpatine in the rise of skywalker after watching this off of this documentary yeah because i think and i i don't want this to come across the wrong way like i'm dumb but uh, hearing the process of why they brought him back and the connections they had and how it made sense and J.J. talking about that one scene about Plagueis back in the prequels and how that was his favorite scene in the prequels and that kind of left a door open to bring him back later. Like, it was a perfect opportunity to connect it all together. Like, I know he was in a tough spot going into Nine of what do I do with Snoke dead? And now that I've seen this and heard it from JJ's mouth of why he did it. I was going to say, because we've talked about that on the podcast and how perfect it is. Right. And I didn't necessarily agree. I thought it was kind of a cop out. And you're like, oh, you're bringing back this guy. But it kind of makes sense because it's the two grandkids of these things and Mm -hmm. the lineage and stuff like that. But um, I saw some criticism online of people being like, why are Chris Terrio and JJ explaining their process and explaining their theories? And like, they didn't have to put that in there. I wholeheartedly think that they should have, and I'm glad that they did, because after hearing him talk about that Plagueis speech, I was like, oh, that makes total sense. And I know that people had that theory anyway, but it's different to hear it from the mouth of the person that wrote the movie. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. without a doubt. James Palpatine uh, McDermott. Um, 
I mean, I don't really know that. I mean, it was cool to see, and I like the way that it was handled and all that. I mm-hmm. I didn't really take away anything that we didn't already know, which is like, it's really cool to know that this guy kind of made his way into the original movies, and then he was the right age, and now they're bringing <laughs> him back. And yeah. There was just kind of this cool like feeling that um, almost like it was meant to be, or it was important. You know, I almost got the same feelings from him as I did with like. Warwick and Anthony and uh, mm-hmm. um, John Williams and stuff because they're all people who were there from the beginning and then they kind of did the the prequels and then now they're kind of doing the you know yeah um, the cool little tie in there so um, right. but it was nice to actually hear him like say it and explain it and then show back to back you know like here's an old clip here's a new clip you know yeah this is cool and you know you know and I've said this on the podcast I'm pretty sure I think he's like 73 or 74 years old um and you know whatever that's not that super old these days i guess um because you know billy d's like 82 when he came back but it probably might very well be the last time we see him and to think that he was out there and always willing to come back and that if they didn't bring him back it almost would have been weirder to me um like now that we've seen it and just seeing him so excited and saying like I can't believe I had a chance to come back on the prequels and now this was my third chance. And he was like genuinely very excited to be back and uh, sitting in the makeup chair, which was probably three hours every day. They had him like Anna. Yeah. Like those old memes we saw from the prequels of him in the makeup chair. Like now we're going to have new memes. So that's cool. Uh, (laughs) But I'm just uh, and seeing uh, JJ just kind of fanning out as he's like sitting there and he's like, that's perfect. That's crazy. This is crazy. And McDermott's like, is it crazy, JJ? Is it crazy? So um, I, I thought that was cool. And it made me even happier to, to know that he'd come back because he was that excited to come back. They didn't have to right. like twist his arm to come back. Um, mm. But speaking of someone else who was very excited to be involved, Richard E. Grant, they kind of segue into the the, the next of the other baddies. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed um, them talking to him about his experience doing it because, again, he's another person very excited. James, any thoughts on uh, the Richard E. Grant bits? It, yeah. I mean, he's he's funny. <laughs> I, <laughs> he I like to hear funny. him saying he was walking around and he's like, um, I just I can't help myself. I have to push the buttons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't do anything. Yeah. I have to push the buttons. Right. Um, Domino Gleason was good, too. Because his parts were um, talking about how he played the character in the first one. And then the second one, he felt everything completely changed. He was a completely (laughs) different uh, character. So even he himself uh, playing the character was aware that it didn't quite feel the same. And then Mm -hmm. so the third one, he's and this is me paraphrasing what he said. It isn't exactly. (laughs) But it felt like he was like the the, so the third one's kind of whatever. I'm just kind of here and doing the parts and taking my time and looking around and enjoying it and just being the character. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. He said the first time it was stressful because it was the first one. The second time was Mm -hmm. very different. So he said, that's what, that's all he said, but you know, take what you want from that. And then he said, this time I embraced it and looked around like you just said, James. Um, but yeah, uh, Richard E. Grant, um, He's such a professional because you see even when uh, someone messes up, he's, he keeps this like that scowl on his face. He stays in character, but he's also very lighthearted and stuff. So he's like the consummate professional, but also like probably fun to work with. Whereas some people are like all pro and probably like a little Alec guinness where you're like, I don't want to piss that guy mm-hmm. off. Whereas you feel like you could probably joke around with Richard E. Grant. I don't know, Lacey, what was your takeaway from that? Well, speaking of Alex, Alec Guinness, they had his granddaughter in the film. Yeah, yeah, Allie that was Guinness. Cool. yeah, 
which was kind of cool. I mean, she probably didn't do anything, but it's like the most she, Irish name ever. Sally she sat Grace. at a table, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, Richard E. Grant is wonderful, and we've thought this since they announced he was in the movie, and he's so lovely, jumping on beds and like just loving life. Um, so it's so funny to see him scowling for like two mm-hmm. hours straight. Right. Um, what I took away was he just loved being there, like you guys said. Uh, Donald Gleason, I think. subtly like you guys mentioned mentions that in the force awakens he has this very serious speech which is honestly one of the best monologues in star wars like extreme monologue that jj says he did in one take yeah then he goes to hugs the next movie yeah so then this movie he's like i don't even know what to expect i'm just gonna take it day by day which is just so funny to me but (laughs) there was a shot that they show you where the camera comes in and does a slow push and then comes around and does another push just the camera Mm -hmm. movements throughout this i know john slow push haha uh you're making a face you're making a face because i said slow push because i like a good slow push Uh, no, the camera movements that they did uh, are just so great in this documentary, and you kind of get to see how the camera moves, um, and it really makes all the difference. And he walks you through it, too. JJ does. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and you see the markings of like how they they mark it, and it's interesting to see as he's coming down that aisle where the people are kind of sitting below him, which in itself is a cool set because you have the people above on these computer things and people below, and he's yeah. walking down the aisle. You see, like, he says action, and then he moves, and then everyone has particular things they're supposed to do. Like, this guy crosses in front of here, and this guy, this girl goes over here, and I can only imagine how many times they have to do it. But I did <laughs> laugh pretty hard at uh, Domhnall Gleeson's, like, mess-ups, and I thoroughly appreciated he just kept going, even if he messed up. He'd be like, yes, no, wait, yes, yes, and he just started yelling, because I was like, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like because most people like if they mess up they go cut and then they start over he was like just keep let me keep going just keep yeah. rolling and just mm-hmm. kept going um i was kind of sad we didn't get more of hucks i feel yeah. in this movie but yeah i, I get I, it yeah it's like um he was kind of cast not cast aside a little bit but when you bring in someone like pride who's like clearly above him or whatever um the power struggle yeah he, he, he runs out of places to go as a character sure. um sure. he was kind of I, I do think they they played off his character in they played him off of last jedi and not sure. like brought him back to right. the the one that it was which i think gives a little bit more credence to when richard uh, pride kills him he's supposed to be killing that annoying character yeah and not so much like he just killed the guy from force awakens if yeah, that makes any right. sense i yeah. can't help but wonder if Donald gleason's like i wish i stayed the monologue guy yeah the joke guy (laughs) yeah yeah you never know that's a good point um i do like when richard e grant said and admitted he's like i had to have one of my lines of dialogue written on a sheet and jj allowed me to use it as a cheat um and then they flash back to uh peter cushing uh slipping up his lines um and it's just like an old star wars trope where like some of the dialogue is just so impossible because it's just Mm -hmm. made up words and made up uh, devices and stuff and harrison ford like sticking his mouthpiece in his uh, mouth because he just marbled (laughs) his mouth we're gonna bounce into a supermarket and uh you know um so i i love that that's always a part of star wars and even when they make mess ups they can connect it to old mess ups and it's part of the charm of of making the movie so i love that um Then they uh, hop over to uh, 3PO with Anthony Daniels, uh, which they then circle back to again towards the end of the documentary. Um, And they show him working with George as a director in A New Hope. 
Um, and uh, my takeaway from this was, you know, in that one sequence from filming A New Hope, um, he makes a suggestion or something to George, and George, <laughs> yes. and George is like, "Well, I don't know. That might no. be might be a little tricky." And he's he's a very timid director. You can tell he doesn't want to like upset anybody, mm-hmm. but he's just kind of like, eh, "You know, we're not going to do that." But um, he, he he said, Anthony Daniel said, "This is the first time three PO has been part of the gang really since the first one." And I thought that was interesting because he's a big part of like Empire and and that sure. sort of thing. So, uh, James, what's uh What's your take on this this first chunk of Anthony Daniels stuff from this one? Um, I actually liked this section. Probably is one of my better favorite parts of the um, documentary. I think one of the standout points for me was he said when he went out to Wadi Rum and he saw the um, landscape that was there, he said it instantly reminded him of the original C-3PO drawing or painting. Um uh, I just had his name and I always forget it. Ralph oh, McQuarrie. Yeah, McQuarrie. Ralph McQuarrie. And um, they showed it in the documentary and it is. It looks It looks like we all know the image of C-3PO, but I don't think we pay attention because we just think, oh, it's just a random background. He's on mm-hmm. some world. But it. But now looking at it, it looks like he's standing in on Pasana, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think that's coincidence and only... Anthony Daniels would have put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that he said, in a way, it feels like this is my end. That's where I began. Um, yeah. It's like he's coming home. Yeah, I agree. Um, Lacey, thoughts on uh, the, the first chunk of Anthony Daniels in this documentary? So this is another section that I kind of teared up because it was, it was bittersweet to hear him talk about how excited he was to be back and them to talk about how everyone had read the script and he was like, wait, I have a big part. And everyone's like, you're going to love your part. Yeah, right. That was <laughs> um, cool. But just talking, like getting, letting him have his moment, I guess, is just really, really nice. Because oftentimes yeah. people focus on Luke, Leia, and Han. And mm-hmm. he gets a little bit of time. But this was like a big chunk yeah. that was showing you, the part where he shows you inside the mask. I don't know if it's this part. It might be later, actually. But yeah, that, that was just, cool. Yeah just showing you how he gets into it and people being like, I couldn't do what he does. And um, I really loved Chris Terrio talking about how he went to go meet with Anthony Daniels, uh, which they all call him Tony. And we're all like Anthony Daniels. Mm -hmm. Uh, He went to his house and he had his old scripts. And in his scripts, he had lines that he had ad-libbed that and then ended up being in the movie. Yeah. He switched numbers around and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 And then you see that clip of George and you're like, man, this guy was probably switching everything. And George is like, please don't do that. (laughs) No. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, And, you know, you you look at the cast and stuff and, you know, you realize how important it was for him to to be there because he really was the last tie to everything aside from the cameos from Hamill and Ford. Um, You know, R2-D2 is now officially just fully a robot and Peter Mayhew had passed on um so he's like the really truly the last actual tie to everything um mm-hmm. even you know the crew people are all different people now um right puppet people and all that sort of stuff but um yeah that was cool and then they they bring him back later so we'll touch more on him a bit later but then they really get into this huge uh you know going on location stuff uh, for the documentary and they start off with pasana with wadi rum and it shows that um vic mahoney did a did a good chunk of second unit directing here um and they they bring in you know the creature people working with her like neil scanlon and that and and the likes mm-hmm. of that so um i i thought you know this 
it was a not the most important scene, but clearly a massive production. This uh, whole Pasana thing. So, uh, Lacey, what are your thoughts uh, when, on what they covered here? So yeah, it was just you know 450 extras, all the costumes that they had to fly into, you know, out of Italy and stuff like that. But the thing that stuck out to me the most was. Um, and this is kind of the beginning, like you said, is how much puppeteering they did in this movie. And I love how they highlight it so much in this documentary, because that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars is all the puppets. Um, but the part that the chunk of this part that stuck out to me was all the little kids that they then made a trench and then puppeteers were mm-hmm. under the ground puppeteering these little kids. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, they cleared out the scorpions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> every morning and I'm like what <laughs> so that itself I was like this is insane but it's just so cool because you don't even think about it you know like you said John earlier is like there are a lot of parts in this movie that you're like oh this is probably CG this might be a little bit of a puppet but it's probably just the camera at a certain height no that camera is at ground level and they mm-hmm. dug down to put these people in there yeah, uh, yeah. A- absolutely crazy the lengths that they went um, and yeah, there, there's other things here that uh, I want to point out in a second. But James, uh, wh- what was your take on their coverage of this pretty big undertaking, even for a Star Wars movie, this giant Pisana, uh stuff they did? <clears throat> um, I like the 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 dancing. They the fact that they said they couldn't bring in extras, so they or, well specific extras or actors, so they just used like the people that were local, and mm-hmm. um, it was really just interesting to to watch how they designed uh, their dance mm-hmm. and their walk and, you know, how they interact and all these other things about um, the Aki Aki, even getting down to like the, the materials and, um, uh, and what they had to use for um, the actual like textiles of their costumes and things like that. Right. Um, and I think one of the big takeaways from me, well, there was, there was kind of two ones here and they're kind of the same idea, but Number one was somebody said it, it doesn't feel like a um, movie production anymore because it's so big you get lost in it and it feels more like Carnival. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, they're walking around and like every take is just like, yeah, there's stuff going on. People are working, but at the same time, there's so much to look at. It yeah. feels mm-hmm. just like you're at a festival <laughs> right. and like everybody's doing stuff around you and you're like, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing was... Uh, the importance of the festival itself and why it was in the movie was to um, bring out the fact that Ray has never had an opportunity to see goodness like this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in a collective, like such a big family embrace sort of way. Um, Yeah, I agree. Um, My, my takeaways uh, hearing uh, John Boyega say he loves going on location and Daisy Ridley too, because they, feel that they're in the world and they can it's very authentic they use the word which i find interesting because we've been talking about how incredible the mandalorian stuff is and they're doing stuff out of you know southern california and and creating these environments and stuff like that but then hearing these hearing these actors say they like doing these on location things because everything is there it's not like this half of the room is that so i'm wondering if that tips the scales in a way like you don't know they may still continue to keep going on location for star wars movies down the road i'm curious where, where we go from there anyway so but i did find those bits interesting and then the part that blew me away that i that i teased earlier the sinking fields thing i thought this was Unreal. cgi i thought yeah. in the movie I, I was like that looks a little wishy-washy cgi to me but it was actually like beans or something they, they actually did it and they dug these things with these huge 
bulldozers that they bring in and they made like these huge uh containers for them to fall into like that blew my mind honestly that Mm -hmm. they did that and they had the actors hold their breath and fall through talk about doing your own stunts like i'll hang on a wire (laughs) and go like this but you're telling me to go through these beans to where i can't see my my destination i have to hold my breath that's a little that's a little like being buried alive so i thought that was just insane i thought that was crazy but it was very cool um but uh, we, I think they would go back to Pisana a little bit later. But um, they touch on, you know, the, the creatures and that sort of thing. But then the Kajimi, which may give Pisana a run for its money in what they did. And they even brought Mark Hamill in. And they talk about Kurosawa. And I didn't know that, that that was inspired mm-hmm. by Kurosawa, who was an inspiration for George Lucas. So there are way more George Lucas tributes in terms of his influences in this movie than I, than I realized. Um, and, and, and there, a lot of the, a lot of this happens in Kajimi here. Um, there's a lot to get into with Kajimi stuff. Uh, one thing I'll just say the Greeblies, the, the, the Greebles and the Greeblies, which are these little, their, their word for making any object look like it should be in star Wars by adding like a a bolt or or something to it to make it, uh, it could be like a a rock and then they add something to it and they call these Greeblies and it's always been their star Wars term. So I like that, but there's a lot to get into here. Uh, James, your thoughts on this whole Kajimi set. It was obviously huge. There was a lot involved, a lot of people involved. Um, any takeaways from this segment of the documentary? Um, just, I guess size, like I think it's just crazy that you know they built they actually built a set that is that size. I think that's the the biggest one when it came to Kajimi for me, um, because I you know we'd all heard the Kevin Smith stuff and we were all kind of curious well, what's the set and you know now we're getting the opportunity to like really get a look at it from a uh, an angle and it's like oh, they really did legitimately just, like, build this city. And they talk yeah. about that on Pasana too, that, oh, we built a small city, but that's, like, for production. This is straight up, like, th- this is in the movie. This is the set. Yeah. And it's huge. And yeah. it's just, I don't know, it's just really cool to think that they put all that together and then they just filmed within that environment for a couple days, you know. Yeah, like... Crazy. Like- and a lot of characters and aliens that we, I don't think you really see in the movie... But they show in this, they're like, here's a headshot, here's a headshot, mm-hmm. here's a headshot, here's a and I'm like, <laughs> I don't recognize any of those. <laughs> There's full like full things happening in the background of some of the scenes on like the next street over where you hear yeah. like stormtroopers pushing people and their aliens. Like they probably mm-hmm. spent sixteen hours building a mask for somebody who may be on frame for a half a second. It's just insanity. Right. Um And they had those those walkers that were like War of the Worlds, and you mm-hmm. barely even see them. The closest look we get is in that McDonald's commercial. If anybody wants to go look that up, <laughs> there's a McDonald's commercial, and you see it like very clearly. And it's oh, like, I gotta those check are that on out. Kijimi. That that's not part of the uh, real effects. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, Lacey, what was your take on the Kijimi stuff? Uh, I also enjoyed Greebles, by the way. That was yeah, very right. Good. Just the, even the word cool itself. Term. Yeah. I didn't know that was a term. It was just like taking one thing that's simple and making it look more complex later. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really cool. Okay. So there were kind of two parts that stuck out to me. One, obviously, is the Rey and Kylo fight. Uh, They state that they're soulmates in the Force, Mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting way of putting it. But imagine being your soulmate and uh, they're they're your enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, Talking about doing their stunts again and doing the Force fight, which was two to three days that yeah. they did that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from production photos before this documentary came out, but you kind of get a glimpse of it, 
the scene of his quarters and then the scene of Kajimi is one scene mm-hmm. set that they just shoot around. That's so which cool. Which is super, super cool. Yeah. Um, I love the small clip that's been making its rounds on the internet of Daisy hitting Adam and he being like, no, it's all right. And he's yeah. like in his Kylo Ren yeah. outfit, which is funny. <laughs> um, so that's really cool. Uh, the other part was uh, Babu Frick's droid shop where they have a bad robot laying there, which I totally missed yes. in the movie. Yes, yeah. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And then obviously it's super cool that they had John Williams in. And then his little area is all the 51 Oscars he's ever gotten. That are was, I was waiting to talk about movie. it because that's yeah. our next section. But yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. You are welcome to talk about it now. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, actually, um, yeah. I was going to say one other thing real quick, because because I have read the book, yeah, uh, and I was doing a book discussion on Tuesday, so check that out. We're going to go through all the differences, and I noticed you picked up on this for the first time that it was really cool that they talked about their connection. Yeah, um, dyad. Like, yeah, yeah, the dyad. The dyad is different than what I thought it was based on the movie. And we talked about the comic recently about how, oh, it's weird because Snoke bridged their minds, but they're showing his connection when she was younger. And it 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 goes back all a long ways. The dyad mm. is a bigger, bigger thing that I think is is now more important to the High Republic and other things like that. So oh, cool. The fact that this documentary and the novelization as well explain a little bit more about what that connection is really does make me appreciate the the two sides that they're on and the balance that they have together without being like, well, you're supposed to be good and you're supposed to be bad. And, you know, sure. like, I don't like that balance, but the dyad makes a lot more sense. So be prepared, you know, for that. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. The but John Williams. <laughs> so I I liked that he um, even after all these years and fifty one Oscar nominations, like he never asked like, hey, can I have a cameo in Star Wars? And JJ brought it to him and Cat and Kathleen Kennedy, and he's like, oh, I don't know. And his wife is the one who said, you have to do it. It's better than everything you've ever done. JJ was <laughs> geeking. I've you never seen JJ geek as hard as he did with John Williams. Well, how about JJ announcing like to the crew? The room, yeah. yeah, in case you guys don't know who this is, I'm like, who the hell doesn't know that that's John Williams? <laughs> JJ, John, I thought of you because he's going. Uh, um, I'm gonna uh, give he, he a say, small uh, speech. A lot, uh, yeah. I'm gonna give a small speech. Uh, if that's okay. Uh, a yeah. uh, uh, big, big, giant part of uh, uh, the, the legacy of this. Uh, this whole documentary made me appreciate jj abrams so much more i'm like that dude does not look worried he just Mm -mm. looks like he's completely in control at all times and he loves everything that he's doing yes and he has full you know command over all all situations uh and one of my biggest ones was when it came to his speech because because that exact moment he's like Hey, uh, you wouldn't mind if I said something, would you? Yeah. Okay, cool. And then he like <laughs> drops three sentences that are perfect. Yeah, like you yeah. know what I mean. He did the same thing for Leia. He does yeah. it later yeah. for other. He calls him a supernatural and... genius. Yes, and I'm like, I. How do you think of those words? And you know, it's just I. I don't know. And the Lacey, you said it. The the props around him being all representative of his other oh, movies and stuff. I'm like, so cool. Where, where's the documentation? I want to see ever. I want to see a photo of every one of them and what movie they're connected. So to. W- did you guys have a favorite one? I mean, they only showed four, but they he mentioned a bunch. 
Private Ryan. They yeah. said Home Alone. Indiana uh, Tom Jones Sawyer with the pipe. Yeah, it was actually six. The I whip. Think, yeah. And um, well, you guys are you guys are forgetting the, the, the best oh, one. Jaws. The Jaws barrels. Jaws oh, I didn't really care about the Jaws barrels. Um, and there was one Sorry. other, the first, oh, Hook, right? Did we say hook? hook? We said Hook. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the thing from Hook. I thought yeah. that was, I think that, I think that like blew John Williams away. And it, the funny thing is it blew him away, but at the same time he's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Like if you or I were there, we'd be like, what? Right. What? But it was this cute. So it was cute yeah. seeing him like, he's such a boss at what he does. So he's in a, an area where he's not familiar and he's an 85 year old rookie. Uh, like taking direction on acting, and you felt his like shyness and his timidity. Sure, I I love that they captured that and that that happened. Yeah. He's in the movie Daisy. for one second. Yeah, Daisy loves him. She yeah. was sitting there watching the scene with oh, him. Oh, and he gave her the signed score. The signed score. Oh, yeah, and she said God. in an interview once that they exchange handwritten letters. It's very that's, cute. That's adorable. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, legend. I and I said Anthony Daniels is the only tie. Of course, John Williams is too. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, then let's move on to um, Babu Frick, which was uh, really cool. Um, I love that Mark Hamill was way more involved with the production, even though he was only there. For, he must have been there the whole time, even though he was only Geekin. filming a couple of scenes. Yeah, yeah. Ta- talking about how uh, Empire Strikes Back, they asked him if he wanted to pour the green mold into the Yoda mask, and he like, yes, I want to do that. Yeah, I would love <laughs> to do that. So um, him reflecting back on the old times and now geeking out in the, the new stuff just shows what a fans fan mark hamill still is to this day and that's why like people really endear themselves to him but um uh but then he's talking about barbara frick and how he's curious about how the this actor is doing this stuff for the first time in terms of her working the mouth controls um i don't know who i'm supposed to start with here but who wants to take babu frick and, and talk about this this sequence for a little bit i'll go i love babu frick i mean i think everybody does he was one of those like crazy things that came out of the movie that everybody collectively loved, mm-hmm. right? No one could say that they didn't like Babu Frick, but right. uh, Shirley Henderson is amazing. She does Moaning Myrtle and Harry yeah, Potter right. as well. Yeah, right. I didn't realize she well was as, as old as she is. She's in her 40s, right? Yeah, she's older, yeah. I thought she was like a kid when she did Harry Potter, but yeah. Well, she plays a kid in right, Harry Potter. Right, yeah. Because um, she has that like high-pitched voice that ah, she could do. Ah. <laughs> um, I think Babu Frick's just cool, but the the part that stuck out to me besides the puppeteering which is rods and animatronics is that they had a dialect coach there being like make sure this language makes sense with yeah. Bobby Frick and mm-hmm. I was like that's mm-hmm. so funny because she has this whole notebook that she's like writing out mm-hmm. uh but the one clip of her making that exaggerated like go go and JJ just loses it and he's yeah. like on the ground trying not to laugh yeah and oh <laughs> yes yeah he turns to them and he goes imagine if i left this in the movie 20 oh, seconds of her just saying go <laughs> i was like it, i love that he has a sense of humor about it that he's like imagine if i did this what people would say that's <laughs> that's exactly what like what right on what you were saying james about how he's Fully, no pressure, in control, even though he's Loving ending it. the Skywalker saga, just fully enjoying himself. Um, your thoughts on Babu Frick? And we can even meld in this uh, next section, the 3PO with Babu Frick stuff, too. Um, what what, mm-hmm. uh, you, what was your takeaway from this stuff? Um, I, I liked his voice when I saw the movie, but seeing and, and know, knowing that the talent was working at the same time and like hearing her kind of like stumble through and, and figure out, you know, how they wanted to say things and stuff. It really, 
it more so even brought the character character to life for me. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's almost like knowing that there's a person, you said a dialect coach, but like I write alien languages. Um, so <laughs> right. she's, she's going through that. And then your brain is like trying to process like a little bit more like what they're saying. So it's like mm-hmm. before when you're watching the movie, it's gobbledygook. It's just blah, 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 blah. And you're like, sure. okay, that's an alien sound, <laughs> an alien <laughs> language, whatever. <laughs> but it's almost like somebody going in and, and breaking down what makes that language interesting to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that somebody worked really hard to create it in syllables and pronunciation and things like that. And I'm like, so I started paying attention to it and I'm like, it's a really cool, interesting voice. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I like it. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have pinned it to a female either. Right. Although I, Mm. I think you saying it's the actress who did this. I was like, I guess I did know that in the back of my head, but to me, it wasn't particularly male or female. Mm-hmm. but sure. it was more surprising that it was a female because I think Bobby Frick is male. So I don't know. It was just yeah. interesting. And then they wedge, you know, a lot of 3PO into it. Obviously, Bobby Frick's main purpose is what they had to do with 3PO. Uh, but even just seeing Bobby Frick, I'm like, there's no way that's the last time we're seeing this character. Like, they'll they'll do another yeah. trilogy just to bring back Bobby Frick, I think. <laughs> um, but <laughs> just for an excuse, they're like, all right, we got to tell a Ray story. Why? Because we need more Bobby Frick. That's why. I really liked, <laughs> there's a line that Mark Hamill's from the original trilogy says, um, that C-3PO's face doesn't have any expression. Mm-hmm. And that's something that obviously just look at him. You know that. But I, I don't think I've ever really thought about how much like of the head turning and the, uh, mm-hmm. the shoulders and the mm-hmm. arms and stuff that it like matters to fully knowing what C-3PO is thinking. Yeah, I think... And, sure. uh, it really is highlighted here because he says that, and then they show a couple clips that are uh, a good clip to show, mm-hmm. <laughs> to showcase that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's true. I know exactly what he's feeling in all of these scenes. And you're looking at an actor who doesn't have any facial expression at all. It's a blank right. slate. And it's like, dang, man, that's pretty awesome. And I, I mm-hmm. believe. A part of the reason why they got him to begin with, even though they weren't going to put him in the suit, or, or no, they weren't going to have him do the voice originally. They got him to do the suit stuff because he did a lot of mime work. Uh, Anthony yeah. Daniels, yeah. So, um, and he imagine said, having that on your resume. Yeah, I'm a mime. Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, yeah. strong communication skills, mime work. Right, mime. <laughs> <laughs> Professional street mime. Um, yeah. So. I like, again, you know, Mark Hamill popping in here, and in, uh, I was happy to see that he was around more than I had thought he was, and him talking about 3PO, and he's like, I love C-3PO so much because he just, he's always so worried because he never, you know, you, you, you would imagine he would just prefer to be an usher in a theater and not on these galactic adventures. And the way Mark Hamill talks about Star Wars in such a, like, it's such a silly way and it's such a fun way is, again, yeah. one of those reminders that people need that that is exactly what Star Wars was meant to be. And not this sure. thing that people have built it up in that turns into this, uh, you know, anger, anger fest. Um, so, I, I mean, Mark Hamill should do, should write books about his experiences because I think they would be very valuable to fans. Um, and then they're talking about 3PO, how he kind of loves the team. And I, I kind of like compare 3PO to like, he's like, um, not like a pet, but sort of like a pet in a way because he's helpless and he needs everyone to like get by. 
And when you see mm-hmm. him like in those situations, you want to help him uh, sort of thing. I think that's why people uh, draw themselves to that character too. Um, uh, but then we go to the Death Star 2, the, this Kef Beer location. Um, I liked their conclusions on how to present the Death Star. Um, originally, it was just going to be the satellite dish, and JJ's like, that would have been so so ridiculous if they <laughs> only the satellite <laughs> dish fell down. And his logic to find that I thought was very smart. Um, and one thing I really related to was JJ Abrams saying he liked the idea of them living in this old war relic of what had happened prior uh, in a very physical, tangible way, and kind of like revisiting history like frozen in time and I, I compare that to things like you know people always going to daily plaza where jfk was shot like that street and that spot is looks like it did back then and that's like what this is for star wars like there's the death star there's the throne room that's where vader and palpatine and luke were and that's where it all went down it adds this weird cool dimension to star wars and i feel like jj wanted to capture that and i, th- I thought they nailed it but there's a lot in that whole scene and stuff. So did you guys, uh, James, I'll start with you. Do any takeaways from the whole, the death star thing, how they brought it and the approach and all that. Um, honestly, the biggest thing for me was, uh, hearing the people talk about building the set, how they essentially had to build it to make it look clean. And then they had to destroy it. Um, that was cool. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. And one thing, and this goes kind of in that whole like retcon world. Um, I, I, I like that they did what they did, which is um, in order in, in this room, we created like a secret vault that yeah. I guess was there the whole time. It yeah. was in return of the Jedi and it's right over there and you just didn't see it that I love that. I love I like it when they, when they say uh, Rex was in the battle of Endor. I, I love that. That's I know fine, it's yeah. a retcon. It's like, whatever, but like it just adds so much weight to those scenes. Every time I watch Return of the Jedi, I'm gonna be like, just off to the left there, there's this secret vault of, um, you know, these hidden treasures and things like that. And uh, they also mentioned too. Oh, I don't know. Maybe this is something different. But um, that it's it's like battery powered, or it has some sort of energy still left in it that it recognizes Ray when she shows up, <laughs> which is why it opens. Mm-hmm like that's legit (laughs) that's so cool you know i think that's those are good retcons because it doesn't affect anybody else you can insert that into the story without having to explain someone else's story in a different way so i'm i'm down with that stuff i i that's like to me that's a good retcon um but but let that sink in for a second it it opens for palpatine and it opens for ray yeah no i think that's it's so cool uh, yeah i didn't even make that connection really when they said it but now that as you say it that does make a lot of sense that's like, see, that sense is there, what have you. I wonder if uh, it would have opened for her dad, but maybe <laughs> that's a story for another time. That's what I'm saying. I think it probably would have, yeah. <clears throat> um, so, Lacey, Death Star, there's a lot going on here. Um, we can obviously uh, move this also into the Ravers Kylo Ren stuff, but uh, what, what, what do you want to tackle from this part of the documentary? Um, the set stuff was really cool. Like James said, the two set designers just sitting there and the one being like, we kind of just made up this room and just whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we needed it to make sense. Ran um, it over talking, with forklifts. Yeah, talking about forklifts. Yeah. Um, I think one of the coolest things is that they used the set designs from the original set. Yeah. They went and got the yep. research for it and then they looked up the full model to get the textures and everything right. And then when they talked about, it's just funny because I think oftentimes as fans, we don't, 
get into necessarily the actual real life dimensions of things and math Mm -hmm. and science and stuff so for these guys to be like well jj wanted this on this planet but it's you know this gigantic it wouldn't fit it would be out into the atmosphere so we had to figure out a way to make it fit yeah so that's where they got the satellite dish and then Mm -hmm. they were like that doesn't work but that kind of stuff always surprises me because i'm terrible at math and terrible at like spatial ratios and yeah yeah so for them to be like this would have been gigantic so we had to break it up so i was like that's cool um i think the dark ray stuff was cool uh that's what this goes into right I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, Ray versus Kylo Ren and the dyad, kind of like talking about the the, yep. the mythic stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So Joseph Campbell and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I personally just loved seeing Ray as Dark Ray. I thought that was fun. I liked seeing her as Dark Ray. And then they cut to the scene where she's playing her, you know, normal Ray and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she had so much fun with it. Yeah. And then they show the clip of her on the throne, which wasn't in the movie was that in her vision though i think it's in the vision but they didn't use it so the part where she's on ochi's ship Mm -hmm. and she's telling finn she had a vision Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the vision she had like on the throne it was me that's what she has but i don't think they don't show it correct now i could be way wrong here but the vision when kylo's touching the vader mask do we see anything like that no, oh, they right. don't. They didn't include it. Right. I think they left it out, probably because they thought it would, might be confusing or give it away too much. Okay, that's what I'm well, thinking at least. Hmm. Again, I, I feel weird because I'm in the spot where I've read the novelization. I know when she has the vision. Oh, they 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 have the vision happen in the story. Oh, uh, when? Just, yeah. I don't care. You can tell me when she's training at the like almost near the beginning. She goes. Yeah, and, when, when Kylo Ren's to... touching the mask. Oh, that is at the same yeah, time. That's, that's what I was the point. Saying, yeah. And so if you're watching the movie and they have that vision where she's on the throne and they've already had trailers where Palpatine's on the throne, that to anybody would kind of give away that whole Palpatine no, thing. So I yeah, could see them yeah, cutting it out. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, what else you got? Uh, what are we talking about now? Well, <laughs> I mean, Stark, right? well after we talk about Ray versus Kylo Ren and all that stuff, we're going to be moving on yeah. to Octo. So to get what you got to get out of this segment here. All the, all the way through Harrison Ford, you know any any of this stuff they talk about on this whole Death Star. I'm gonna stuff. let I'm gonna let you talk about Harrison Ford because that's your favorite scene, <laughs> and I'm going to hold off till <clears throat> Mark because he's my favorite. Um, James, any thoughts before I get into my gush fest about the the lightsaber battle or, or any of that that happened on there? Oh, the water fight, right? They talk about the water yeah. fights, yeah. That's insane. There's one Although thing about I loved, that I definitely want us to talk about. I loved how Adam was like, it was my birthday one of those days. I don't know why that matters because it, it doesn't matter if it was my birthday or not. I laughed so okay. hard. He's like, I wanted to kill her so more because it was my birthday. <laughs> yeah. So here's something weird. So I, I, because all this documentary stuff is like, oh, we know this happened in the past, but they don't really get specifics on dates. So he said it, one of those days was my birthday. And I go, oh, okay. So when would that have been? It would have had to have been. It would have had to have been November 19th, which is his birthday, of 2019, right? No. It wouldn't have been 2018. 2018. It doesn't make sense. The movie came out in 2019. Maybe that's what I meant. Shoot. Yeah, maybe I'm all back at words. <laughs> I, went and lo- I went and looked at my photos to see what I was doing on that day. Like, where was I at when they were filming that scene? on that the exact day and i and i looked at it and i had a picture of adam driver 
on the Death Star that exact scene in my thing. And I was like, how is that possible? So maybe I looked at the wrong day. Oh, okay. Well, you're thinking it was October or November 19th, 2018 then. Yes. They probably released okay. the back uh, behind the scenes photos that day. Yeah. November this on past year. On his birthday, year. one year from the day they shot it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I loved uh, Adam Driver saying it was exhausting. I was wet, soaked and cold and on wires and I loved it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but they were both, I mean, I think it was Anthony Daniels who said it was six days they shot that stuff. So they in had November, to have been mentally water. gassed at that yeah. point. Um, and that is such an, uh, I feel like people fly by that scene in that lightsaber battle because of Leia's involvement, Harrison Ford's involvement, you know, all, all that stuff that was around it. But it was a really good lightsaber fight because it seems raw. It's not like, and no offense to the prequels, the prequels, it looks like they're looking to hit the person's lightsaber as opposed to hitting the actual person. Where this one, sure. they're, they're throwing haymakers at each other and they get tired. It looks like a real fight. And I think the whoever did the choreography for that uh, lightsaber duel did an excellent job and it shouldn't go uh, understated. Um, they did hit each other. In, the behind, in an interview with Daisy, she said she hit him or he. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, and the fingers, and then he got mad or something. Yeah, but when you're fighting, you're trying to hit someone. Whereas right. I felt in the prequels, they were trying to hit the other lightsaber. Sure. <laughs> you know. Sure. But um, this this was November nineteenth, twenty eighteen. We released this episode of Resistance Broadcast nice. with Gina Carano and. Oh, cool! Right on. And yeah. that's what we. That's what we. That's what we were. I doing. think she was announced that day. Oh, that's what mm. we were that's what we were up to while they were filming this scene while they were fighting on the <laughs> death star wreckage um yeah the how they did the leia stuff and working in her her um into that uh i thought that was cool and then the harrison ford thing of course i thought was great and they even interviewed harrison ford and he said i never wanted han solo to die necessarily i just wanted him to add do something to add weight to the story and uh then bring him back and, and doing that was really cool and adam driver talking about how he loved um poetically bookend again full circle he used the word full circle uh bringing back the same exact dialogue and and what it meant and um i i liked that he liked it i thought uh, i thought that was cool Uh, and the john williams music they said was not uh, a, a new version of the same song they went back they got the actual music and they literally just did it exactly as it was and oh, yeah, yeah. John Williams saying, um, you know, I wouldn't normally do that, but it's good to know that, like, I think JJ said the fans will recognize it and they'll like it. Sure. Um, so he was like, I was I was glad to do it for just specifically for that reason and it's not Um, a it's not a main theme that's going to take you out like a lot of people said oh i wish they put duel the fates in for that fight and i am so against that idea because that's that's obi-wan qui-gon and darth maul's fight like that's their that's their track you know like and across the stars is padme and anakin like that's tracked from han and kylo isn't one where you're like that's that theme it's just a piece, a little piece of music that you can maybe in the deep parts of your brain make a connection, but it's not like in your face and it doesn't take away sure. from the scene. Um, all right. Then we cruise to, uh, we say bye to Han Solo and we say bye to Leia. And then there's one more to say bye to. So we cruise over to Octo and um, they're, they're talking about um, 
what's going on there. So, Lacey, why don't you? Uh, what was your takeaway from the documentary's coverage of the the Mark Hamill scene? So this is another part that I cried. <laughs> so, um, it was great to see Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker again. It was great for them to talk about how. He got to have his moment in the sequel trilogy of, you know, lifting up the X-Wing, which was a callback for Empire Empire Strikes Back. Um, And it was just nice for me, at least, to see Mark Hamill so happy to be Luke Skywalker again. Yeah. And whether you agree with his journey in The Last Jedi or not, um, Mark Hamill had a lot of trouble with it. And that is very apparent in Director and the Jedi of how much he like grappled with this. Who is Luke Skywalker? What does it mean to me? Because at the end of the day, Luke Skywalker is part of Mark Hamill. Like that's his legacy. He will always be Luke Skywalker. Um, and it's part of basically who he is. So that really struck a chord with me to like finally get to see him do this like really cool Jedi thing mm-hmm. that he's a Jedi master even when he's a force ghost, um, which I was tearing up this whole time. But the thing that got me is when he was talking about, uh, it was an old clip of Mark Hamill. And he said, this can't, he said that kids dream of this, you know, he's like all the other kids that dream of going on adventures and that this can't be all there is, is like what they're wishing for. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Immediate tears. Yeah. Cause like, that's what I connected with when I watched star Wars for the first time is, you know, the binary sunset, him looking out to the horizon, dreaming of adventure and, and where it's going to take him and knowing that where he was at that moment wasn't the end of his story. It was just the beginning. Yeah. That, oh, my God. I'm getting choked up right now just talking about it. It was ju- it's just the best. It, it is. And it's like one of those things like where you see him lifting that um, X-Wing and they talk about how they went full circle with it and stuff. But then seeing it a second time and however many times after that, you know, that's the last year you're ever going to see Luke Skywalker. And that's... Don't. Don't. Except, um, except at the very end, of course. But his last doing right. something. Um, James, uh, your takeaways on uh, Mark Hamill and his uh, one scene and the, the Octo set and all that stuff that they did here. Um. No, nothing, nothing. I thought of one thing. One thing made me think said. of you. Yeah. One thing made me think of you watching this documentary. Do you, you want to guess what Tell it was? Me. Nope. <laughs> it was them filming with him without the effects, so he wasn't Bluke. Yeah. Oh. And I yep. remember out of the I three of, of us, you were the most upset of how blue he was. So I was like, they probably didn't even need to add any effects, really, and they could because it looked so good with him just being there organically. Oh, itself, yeah um so i thought of you on that one but um you know i realized something with this scene that made me realize probably why i love this movie more than i thought i would or should it's because there's so many tied up loose ends and bookends and i (laughs) love a, a conclusion and closure to things that started somewhere else and it also makes me realize why i cried when i heard palpatine's cackle during the trailer back in celebration the rise of the bookend like just knowing that you're bringing something back that you've loved for so long to tie it up and then that's it like affects me really deeply and um, same i loved this scene in the movie and it's one of the ones that really bothered me in the last jedi is is how luke was because it wasn't the luke that i grew up with and i remembered so just like in this documentary where they talk about how 
JJ wanted to bring Luke back and wanted to give him this moment. And I think there was something along the lines of like, it's what Mark deserves or something like that. Right. And I completely agree. He had a great end in The Last Jedi, but this, we didn't get to see him be like the over powerful Jedi like this, where he's lifting something up. They, so they interview him for this documentary a bunch, right? Sure. And then there's one thing he says where he says, um, I love that he didn't like he he loved that Luke Skywalker never always had this aura of optimism about him. Yeah, he's the symbol of optimism. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's Mark Hamill does not like the last Jedi. It's just <laughs> it, I don't think so. I talked to somebody who interviewed him and they're like he off the record he is very mm, but Because he's protective of the character, which is understanding. Yeah. And I'm not trying to light fires here, but I mean, if you read between the lines when he's being interviewed and he's saying like, I love that he never lost that sense of optimism and those sort of things. But um, seeing him finally lift the the X-Wing, some people are like, that was too fan servicey. I'm like, no, I love it. I'm like, shut up. Like, that is so great that he did that. And the Yoda theme's playing like, fine. Then I love fan service then, I guess. But but then... uh, that's it for, for Hamill pretty much there. Um, and he wrapped and that was the end for Luke Skywalker in terms of his main scenes, except for the very end. I'm tearing up just thinking about it, like how awesome that whole part was. It's 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 so cool. It is. Um, and they didn't have to go back to Ireland for it. I think they built a set for it. Um, sure. And then they, they talk about Macquarie and the Palpatine throne. I don't think we have to get too into that. But obviously, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's again, another tribute to the old stuff, the concept art. Um, but then we have... <clears throat> You know, Ben Solo and how uh, Adam Driver's talking about it's not a seesaw anymore. And he kind of figures out what his main purpose was. Uh, you guys want to touch on that? They, 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 they didn't get too deep into this. And honestly, <laughs> they were right to do this. They skipped the whole Raylo thing completely. And because they, prob- sure. they probably knew they'd be doing more harm than good if they tried to talk about it. And Just they- real quick. Yeah. I, I don't mean to like throw you off on your timeline. No, go ahead. But I did note in my notes the whole scene with Oscar where he said that he needed the extra scene with Leia to to grapple oh, yeah, with go t- ahead. being a yeah, leader. Because that really stuck out to me mm-hmm. because they brought in Lando. Like, that seems to be why one of the reasons they brought in Lando. Mm-hmm. And that's all Oscar Isaac saying to JJ, look, I don't think he'll just take this willingly from Leia. There has to be this moment of reflection. Yeah. And then again, going back to your whole bookends thing, mm-hmm. having Lando coming in and being like, we had each other. That's how I how we did this. Right. No, no, yeah, um, that's a good point. I skipped over that. Yeah. yeah. I was surprised that that was like an added scene because he goes, that that's the testament of JJ to try things that aren't on paper, try different things. Sure. And I was like, so that scene just was like an actor's suggestion. I was like, mm-hmm. it seems like a pretty important scene. Like you definitely would have written yeah. that in. But um, I but love that. Good on, good on Oscar. I would like yeah. Oscar to be a director. That sounds. I would watch one <laughs> yeah. of his movies. I, I hope he. Got, I would too. He sounds like he's a little bit soured right now, and I don't know if that's you know fans or, or what the story is, but I hope he. He I might ho- just be tired. I hope he comes back one day. Um, but yeah, that was a good scene. I I forget why I I, I just blanked and didn't put it in the notes. I blank blanked. Um, it's okay. Well, I going back to my notes. Uh, the whole Death Star planet dyad. Not dyad, dark ray thing. I guess I got so engrossed in watching and just stopped taking notes. Oh. So when we got to that point, I'm looking at my notes, going, "I skipped this whole section." Well, and hey. I have a feeling it's because I was just like, 
That's okay. I mean, uh, anyway. the, Ben Solo, they, they, they don't spend a lot of time on, but they kind of talk about, they let Adam, you know, they, they had Adam Driver speak a little bit about it. Do you guys have anything on, I mean, they spent maybe a minute on it. Do, do you guys have anything on and that? And that whole minute is everywhere on the internet. That oh, entire of course. minute yeah. is for, for, everywhere. For good and bad. It is, honestly, the first clip I saw from this documentary before I watched mm-hmm. it was this clip with Adam. Um, the only thing that really stuck out to me is he said that, he didn't know, as Ben Solo, Ben Solo didn't know what he was doing, which is very Han Solo, I feel. And then he said, and it didn't, he didn't really care what happened as long as he was with her. And I was like, that's, that's so simple, so pure, so awesome. Um, and he seemed to be understanding of the death, which I know we've talked about it here. A lot of fans are upset about it, but it seems like he's okay with it. Everyone that wrote the story is obviously okay with it. So I think it's time that everyone i know it hurts just gotta be okay with it (laughs) or accept what happened sure yeah sure um james ben solo you're a big ben solo guy um (laughs) two two things kind of here one is that and it's kind of off track but it'll i'll round back out to ben solo uh or adam driver i should say the kathleen or the whole the whole documentary seems to point that that Palpatine was not a part of this until the final movie. It was not part of the plans at all. Sure. Um, and I go back to this thing where Kathleen Kennedy was like, well, it was our plan the whole time. You know, it was part of the story or whatever. And another point in my mind that really points this out is that when Adam Driver's talking about his journey as Kylo Ren, he says, when JJ told me about this character's arc in episode seven he described it as sort of the opposite of vader uh, a character where in the first movie you kind of feel like he's still teetering but as his journey goes on he gets more solidly into the dark side yeah um whereas vader he starts off clearly the villain and through the second movie he becomes more real and in the Mm -hmm. third movie he becomes very real very Mm -hmm. human um so it, it seemed to me that from the very beginning uh, Adam Driver and his character was was hinted at being there's this human person and we're going to see his face and you're going to feel connected to him and he's just going to keep getting worse and he's yeah. just keep going to make those mistakes and that that switched when they gave it to a different director not for the worse not for the better I mean you know it, it is what it is mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that that particular line was I think something that people have been um, waiting to hear for a while because he said, well, I was, I was uh, told by JJ or mm-hmm. t- told at the beginning kind of what my character would, would be. I think yeah. this is it. And yeah. it's not what his character ended up being. It sort of is, but it sort of isn't, you know? Yeah. I mean, he kind of says, you know, he's the uh, Ben Solo finally found what his purpose was and the seesaw was over the, the, you know, mm-hmm. I, which way do I, am I getting pulled to? He finally made his yeah. choice and that sort of thing. Um, and then Michelle Redwan talking about it and, uh, she's like, you know, we didn't get to spend a lot of time with him, but, um, he obviously had a major impact because he saved the galaxy by giving himself to bring life back to Ray, which is mm-hmm. huge. And, and which is good because it was different from Vader's sacrifice. And that's really the thing I cared about the most. Um, not, mm-hmm. not repeating that. So like if 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 he picked up Palpatine and threw him down a chasm, I would have been like, "Come on, guys!" <laughs> no, it's the other way around. Yeah, I don't know. He he's like, "Nope, not this time." Bah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so then the st- it's interesting because Adam, this is the first time we really hear him talk about the role probably for the rise of Skywalker. Cause he didn't do really any interviews that much. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. didn't do any press tours mm-hmm. like this is so that's i don't even why think he was in this very much look at him he was everybody else mm-hmm. he, he totally like, has wasn't like two and, lines mm-hmm. and i don't know if that was a conscious decision if adam was like look i don't really want to be a part of this or whatever or maybe they just wanted to steer away from it because they knew it was kind of a controversial character with fans where well, some people are just they, very very protective of him or you know somewhere on the cutting room floor or in the burning fire of that tie fighter on octo is is <laughs> they chuck the footage in there seems, all the adam dailies are in there no it's it's probably footage of chris terrio talking about raylo and the raylo kiss and stuff and they're like you know what we're not gonna put that one in the documentary uh that's gonna cause problems so um there's they definitely talked about it and they made a conscious decision to just not even include it and i don't blame them at all to be honest with you but i don't blame them but i kind of wish i did get to hear them talk about it because that is a pivotal moment in the movie yeah that no i agree but i yeah i I just feel like it would have caused more problems um but then uh the cardington air sheds is where they you know those giant blimp sheds in england where they built the 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 giant star destroyer sets where they had the uh han hans and and they did that whole thing so that that was cool my takeaway from Mm -hmm. that whole scene aside from its spectacle which again a second to none is Dominic Monaghan apparently wanting to keep having people say Beaumont because he said it's very important <laughs> to have your character's name known. It's very important. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Because so funny. He, he was like, Yeah, so when you get shot, can you just yell Beaumont? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. But did you guys have anything from this uh it was obviously a big sequence and stuff from a special effects point of view, but anything takeaways from the uh on top of the Star Destroyer stuff? Naomi Aki doing the reverse horse riding that was awesome. while shooting yeah. and then they did all these weird horse things on like this go-kart slash horse yes yeah <laughs> and then just her and john boyega having the best time ever and talking about how it's important to them as a black actor and a black that actress was really cool being leading the charge and how important it was to them like that was cool to see and just seeing them have fun this whole documentary just seeing how f- much fun people had mm-hmm. uh was just really refreshing yeah again again the gazelles drinking the water you know, yeah. I think they went into this thinking like we crushed it. Everyone's going to love it. TFA vibes, you know, but uh, and th- they'll always have that. You know, they they lived that in that moment in that in that bubble. So that's cool. Um, James. Uh, not, not a whole lot that you guys, you know, have, haven't already said. Um, again, this is another just great scene of of watching them run and explosions and just thinking i wish i could be in that room when they filmed this you know yeah. mm-hmm. pretty much that's kind of a highlight of this whole um documentary is thinking like there are so many people involved and you know th- as much as you want to say like well a lot got leaked no it didn't think about how many people are involved in all this stuff and nobody i mean they're all just keeping it secret you know yeah without a doubt um uh and then uh the exegol battle uh they the the cool thing i saw from that was um they had like digital gopros on cgi x-wings and that sort of thing and you see yeah that was cool dennis lawson come back and he's like i don't know why they put me in an x-wing jumpsuit again but i guess you know whatever 
<laughs> he wanted like a full like general suit. He, he wanted or the whole he said. the whole deal. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, that whole sequence is just gigantic, and we've talked a lot about the special effects of that. So I didn't have too much on that. James, did you have anything on the documentary's coverage of the Battle of Exegol that stood out to you? Um, no. I mean, I I think I took a lot more away from the video that they released a little while ago about ILM and how many how much I was gonna say, went into yeah. all all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the documentary highlights the same kind of things, but I think the the big thing to me was how many different types of ships they created and how they get that all on screen. And I think that was better highlighted just in the ILM reel than it was. That uh, might have been why they particularly they in this. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Lacey, do you have anything else on the Battle of Exegol stuff? Not really. It's all super cool. The GoPro thing was cool, especially because they were like, oh, we talked to old model makers and they were like, oh, we wish we could have done that. Yeah. So it's it's it was nice to see throughout the documentary them saying they kept referencing old stuff and going back to the original people on the sets and the original productions and asking them what they thought. I love that because it seems like it's we're all in this together collaboration, which is what George Lucas did in the first place. Yeah. So when they're constantly being like, oh, we went back to the guy that did the original thing. Yeah. Um, it's just super cool. Yeah. And it, yeah, respect for the old, like you say. And also like George always kept, he was very loyal. He kept people around, you know, and right. if people left uh, or not, the, I think the connectivity of Star Wars has always been kind of a special thing, even though they transferred from George Lucas to Disney. I think Lucasfilm itself has been a pretty consistent company. Um, and when new people come on, they absolutely respect like the old guard, like um, right. the puppeteers and the uh, the Macquarie stuff all down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what we actually missed um, somewhere along the lines here the Warwick Davis Ewok stuff. They, yeah, did I did I miss that in the documentary? Because I didn't see a lot of it in it. Uh... So that that came out and that was released as an exclusive for coming soon or I, I, mm-hmm. or IGN maybe or something. Some, yeah, I, I remember watching it there. Wasn't... I don't know if I missed it on yeah. that. It wasn't in the was... documentary. Yeah, it wasn't in this documentary. Yeah, it was. I don't think. It was? I thought it was, was a, it not? I thought it was a separate thing in the special features that we were Because the bonus oh, content, that's what I'm thinking the of. digital version, they throw everything together. Yeah. And you just watch it. In I order. think it's its own it's a part of its own thing. Right. Yeah, I guess maybe you're right. One of the special feature one of the other ones yep. that isn't yeah. part of this. Okay. I did mm-hmm. not right, I did not purposely omit uh or, <laughs> yeah. um, like they do a whole thing on the speeder battle too. That's one of the other Yes, right. Yeah pieces um so we get uh two more spots here we have the ajon claw celebration and the reflections and stuff um they clearly filmed this last on purpose because they wanted to bring out the emotion that they were ending uh to really get like natural tears like i felt like daisy ridley's tears were like real when they when Mm -hmm. she sees finn and poe and that hug happens and then the friendship theme hits like i start crying every time it's it's so emotional uh and i love how they put together these scenes you're gonna hug this person you're gonna do that um so how they covered this scene uh any takeaways there Lacey? yeah it was super cool um it's amazing again how many people are involved and the way they block out these scenes where they have this guy crossing in front of the camera and this camera's going this way and then you kind of feel that moment more for some reason behind the scenes of Finn and Poe looking for Ray, and then Ray's looking because they kind of cut them next to each other. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, obviously, they cut them with stuff in between. Yeah. Um, but going through each person and what this meant to them was at the celebration scene 
was really cool to see but again I don't know what it was as soon as you see Daisy Ridley like the music changes and she's just like this felt like the end of six years of my life Mm -hmm. and it was just like so emotional to watch because like you said I think they were genuine tears like she kind of grew up in this movie Mm -hmm. she went from being 1920 to 24 25 so I mean that's a lot and she's gone through a lot in those six years oh yeah um it's part of who she is, just like it's part of everybody else that's Boyega in these too, movies. You know? Yeah. They yeah. they had together they came up with that. Uh James. Um I mean I, I didn't it's not so much about like what you were just talking about, but like it I my mind was drifting to when I was in the band, I was in the band for like, you know, seven or eight years, and that whole journey is now done and you the way you were describing how she knew it was like the end i was thinking about how um i didn't i didn't get like a last show i didn't know that my journey in the band was coming to an end and i was picturing like what it would have been like if it was like this is the last tour james is going on and playing all those shows and how i would have felt emotionally Mm -hmm. like i just played my last shows like they were just shows and then I was out of the band. Yeah. So it just kind of ended. And I was just kind of calling back to like, I was comparing and contrasting the the characters in this movie or the actors, I should say, going on this journey and knowing that it was wrapping and coming to an end right? versus my experience of like, hey, I, I didn't know this was going to be crazy. And I went on this crazy journey for this many years. And then it was just like kind of like over. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. So I know that's that's a little inside baseball, not so much about the the documentary, no, that's, but that's good. Though. I'm sitting here. That's how it is relating to me when I'm when I'm thinking about these scenes of them wrapping up this trilogy. Mm-hmm. No, that's I mean, that that's a good point, though, that, that they're you know aware of it, that it's over. Um, and, then, you know, even doing the other movies previously, like they probably thought that was the end then and they didn't know they were coming back. Like Anthony Daniels said it many times, I never thought I'd be back here at 70 doing mm-hmm. this, you know. Um, but that these characters know that at least right now this is their end. Um, that's for sure. That That's a, that's closure for them. Like that's closing the book. Um, and that just that whole sequence uh, is just a very warm feeling, like that celebration there. Because those people are celebrating the end of the final order, but they're also celebrating the end of making that movie and how much went into it and seeing jj just going around to everybody and even small minor people who are in an alien costume just like there's so much care and stuff that went into the movie that even if you don't like the movie you have to appreciate that they brought in someone like jj abrams who not only wrote it directed it did two of these and put as much heart and care as he did to it to even throw serious references and uh, nods to the originals all the way down to like little trinkets and stuff like this movie could have been made by someone who just didn't give a you know what and they couldn't be farther from the truth whether you like it or not uh jj abrams at least did what he thought was the best he he can make it at, to honor the saga so um and then we go to tatooine and i had some surprises here for me um they obviously rebuilt it with the pinewood set and you got anthony daniels reflecting on that comparing it to the actual set in tunisia tunisia as he puts it i say tunisia i don't know what the truth is um but one uh i'll let you guys go here but one that uh stood out to me is they actually went to tunisia where the original 
hut is for the burial of the lightsaber scene. That like blew my mind. That wasn't a set because you see in the background, it's the old like rotting hut and the landscape's all there. Like they actually traveled there for that one scene. Uh, that wasn't a part of the set. That like blew my mind. It's it's so crazy to me where these decisions come in. You know what I mean? Talk like about you, honoring. That couldn't have been replicated. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Strictly a, a a symbol and an honoring. Like they built the whole set for the actual scene parts, and then they go there for that for that one sequence. Like that that got me really emotional, man. That's forty three years. Like again, trapped in time. That little hut. Uh, and they brought Anthony Daniels there for it too. I think just for a a, a symbolism. Um. So what's your guys' take on this final sequence? I know not everyone necessarily loves it, but um, uh, Lacey, I'll start with you on this one. I loved the clip of Daisy going on the sled and being terrified and Eunice being like, so, come on, so it's not that bad. You just did all this other yeah, thing, so all these dainty. other things. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> she was just like, I hate it. I hate everything about it. Yeah. Um, hearing from the set guy that built it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was also sad when he was like, now it's just... They're here. They got their shots, and now it's done. Because you know how much work and yeah, time he put into right. it. That's that's what I was gonna mention. Is I was actually watching the documentary and thinking, what do they, what do they do with this stuff? Does it? They I, they could tear it down, but I feel like that would just be so demoralizing that they probably think, no, we should. We have the money to to store this. Uh, mm. This is props. This is replicas that we could reuse for future things and just right. to hear them be like no we uh we just tear it down you know mm-hmm. yeah. Kathleen Kennedy <laughs> yeah. saying we built this amazing thing and I, I'm just thinking that could that could be like my life's work like think think about how many people like spend their life and they like build a house you know what I mean and mm-hmm. that's just like that's what they do with their life to think like there's these people who build these sets that are these replicas and they're just the blockade runner and agent Kloss and stuff. And then they're like, all right, let's get it out of here. And they just like destroy right. it. It's gone. I was kind of hoping that they would like keep some sort of star Wars warehouse so they can keep all this stuff in case they ever want to use it again. I mean, they do that for props to a degree, yeah. but not for sets. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't do it like they do with Harry Potter, where they have a whole thing that you can walk through. That's all the, the legit right. sets yeah. from the movies. Um, I went through that, and it is the coolest thing oh, ever. Oh, you've been there? Yeah. I've been there, too. I thought I would be it's the super only cool. one that... Yeah. No, it's, the door is crazy. the coolest part. The door with the snakes, that's the animatronic lock door. That's like an actual door. Do you know what I'm I talking about? I don't know that I remember that. Is, is it? Is it you talking about the doors that go into the main no, eating the, area? No, the big vault door that has the snakes on it, that's actual animatronics that the snakes crawl that's through. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah I'd, that yeah, wasn't sorry, CG. Sorry, I'd, I'd have to... Yeah, I'd have to. <clears throat> oh, it's okay. Um, remember um, it. There's wait, a lot that I'm I do not... remember, but mm. there's tons there. Well, we went. Yes. Th- yeah. So go, you, you want to oh, go away from back to Star Wars? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, away from the the sets, more to kind of practical stuff. My favorite part of this was the Jawa ship, and then the perspective shot of the people way in the distance mm-hmm. that then make it look like it's yeah. they're the actual size next to the model. That was, which was cool. really cool. Yeah, and see- I think it's cool. I- um, not to, to bring it down a little bit, but actually listening to Black Series Rebels, I think they have a point. That would have hit home a lot more if we didn't just go to Tatooine in The Mandalorian. I didn't care. I didn't. Really? Yeah. No. 
Yeah, I, I didn't care I, either. Especially because that, that felt... Dave Filoni episode stunk. No, it, it <laughs> yeah, it's not the best, but I, I felt that way in the movie. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then when I heard them say that, I go, oh, that's why. Yeah, that's fine. We yeah, I don't here. love it for the Jawas. I love it for the technical skill that it took to get the shot. Yeah, yeah I think that, that's definitely yeah. neat. I love forced perspective. It was also cool seeing the I think person in the cool. Jawa outfit where you see their face and then the two yellow they're light just, bulbs above their head. They're just sitting there by the fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I hope a droid doesn't throw me on this fire is what they were thinking. Right, <laughs> the dead body. Yeah. Um, but I, I did like Eunice um, explaining to Daisy, like she's like... Um, well, this is how we first met you, and you, you know, you sledding down here is, makes sense and all that stuff because a lot of people had issues with that too. So, thought that was cool. Um, but then, um, them doing the uh track roll to the lightsabers and seeing uh, Ray look off and, and then say Skywalker, they don't use this take in the movie, but she's crying when she says it, and in, in yeah. the version yeah. of the documentary, and that was amazing to me. And seeing JJ get very emotional about it. Um, he did. And that's when I started getting emotional because I'm starting to get emotional now thinking about it. <laughs> because he is getting so much crap for this movie that it blows my And here he is right here. It blows my mind because the guy clearly put so much heart into it. They went to friggin' Tunisia just to pay tribute to the original Star Wars for this one shot. Like, you could have gotten anybody to make the Star Wars movie, and it could have been whack. And whether you liked it or not, you can't deny the fact that this guy put his absolute everything into coming back when he did, originally wasn't planning to come back and, and make it. And seeing him in that t- frozen-in-time bubble of making it, not knowing that he would be getting so much crap for it, is mm-hmm. awesome to me. Because he was... Yeah, you hear his voice crack and everything, and he, like, turns away. And he's loving what's happening there and thinking that he's doing something right by fans and not knowing that he's about to get hit with a wave of people who hate him, you know? And getting death threats and all the crazy stuff that's out there. So I I just... uh, I think this documentary is very important for that reason because it may even show people, like, you know what? Maybe I've... I got to take it easy because, like, I may not like it, but this guy definitely gave us everything. Sure. So to wrap this up, I was going to say the same thing, too. I, I had this in mind that um, if you did or didn't like the movie, you ended up picking it up or whatever. I, I feel that watching this documentary is a, a new motivation for appreciation towards the film as a whole. I think like if you are on the border of like you maybe didn't care for it, just watch this. And I think I feel like your eyes get open to the, the amount of people and the amount of work that goes into it. Because I think online or, or even just like in everyday life, like the, uh, an average person that goes see a movie, they hear about, they're like, Oh, this was they, they did this. Mm-hmm. And they is like Kathleen Kennedy and, and JJ Abrams and it's, maybe like five yeah. other people. Yeah. And it's like, they made the decision to do this. And it's like, no man, it's, it's, it's a, a whole body of so many people that are making all these little decisions and every little decision, even down to the items that are around John Williams, 51 right. uh, seemingly random items that are at place there perfectly for a specific reason um, with Arabesh on them. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's unreal. The level of uh, work that goes into something like this and, 
it just uh is eye-opening and you have to appreciate it all yeah um right Lacey, any final thoughts yeah i so similar to you john uh that scene i started crying and then i continued to cry through the rest of the documentary and then legit i'm not even kidding guys i'm not exaggerating 10 minutes after like i just kept crying Mm mm-hmm to the point that Matt came downstairs and was like, what What are you doing? <laughs> so, because it went into, on the bonus features of the digital copy, it goes right into the next thing. Yeah. So there I am crying and they're like, look at this speeder chase. Yeah, look right. at all these. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like on my couch. So um, one quote stuck with me. I don't know who said it, but I wrote it down because it meant a lot to me, which was, you don't want it to be over. So. Oh, Terrio said that. Star Wars. Yeah. So like he talked about how. And this goes back to what we've kind of been touching on here is the response of this film. A lot of people were saying they didn't get this right and they didn't do this right. And for Chris Terrio to say that him and JJ had trouble with the ending because they didn't want it to be over. Right. Yeah. That's a hard, hard time like, writing you it. You yeah. can't. Right. You can't look at them and say, oh, they didn't care. They don't oh, care about these yeah. characters. They don't care about this stuff. They did because they didn't want it to be over. And then that kind of struck a chord with me because it's like, I, for the past five, six years, have been so excited for these movies that it the idea that they're not happening anymore is so depressing that I was just like, it's over. What happens now? Yeah. And there's like this bittersweet kind of scary feeling that you're like, I don't know what's going to happen with star wars which is okay it's exciting too but for me at least like these movies changed my life like i'm on this podcast with you guys i've done all these crazy things that i would have never have done Mm -hmm. without these movies so it was very like depressing and bittersweet for me to watch this because i was like it's over what now what happens now well you know what you know one day within this decade there's going to be another it's over because we're going to get another right. saga and we're going to meet new characters sure. and go on an adventure we're going to get to meet new characters and start a a new set of uh, a love affair with uh, different droids and species and characters right. and stuff so right um uh so i'm excited about that but you're right it is it is bittersweet without a doubt um but i just hope people like james said watch this and and realize that there wasn't any hatred or terrible thoughts or feelings that went into this movie. It was all love and celebration oh, and wanting heart. to pay yeah. homage to the past and, and yeah. call back to the things that you love. Yeah. And I don't understand how anybody could watch this and then be like, yeah, I hate the last or not the last Jedi. I hate the rise of Skywalker yeah. because there's no way anyone that has any type of like, humanity can be like i don't appreciate everything that went into this movie like james said yeah yeah so um agreed um but that is i mean a long one so we thank you guys for sticking with us but um it was a long documentary so i wanted to make sure we touched on pretty much everything and i think we did um so i hope you enjoyed like this special episode um we have obviously our regular episodes coming out monday uh thursday the clone wars fan show friday um possibly a rumor mm-hmm. review if i can find some new rumors we need some more news to talk about to get more rumors but um more content book, coming book discussion book discussion on tuesday, tuesday right with uh kyle novelization right. of Rise outpost of another outpost so we have a lot of stuff outpost. coming to you guys some on the podcast some just on the youtube channel 
Um, mm-hmm. But let us know what you guys think uh, in the comments of the YouTube channel uh, or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, your thoughts on the documentary or the points we made, that sort of thing. And obviously hit us up on Twitter at RBATSWNN. Always uh, make sure you're um, subscribed so you get all these alerts, all this content that we're coming out with. And go to StarWarsNewsNet.com every day. You can find me on Twitter at Johnny Hoey and StarWarsNewsNet. James? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Meyer Trunks. Lacey? Twitter and Instagram at Lacey Gillerin. All right, guys. So like we said, fun documentary, heartfelt documentary. Whether you love the movie or not, hopefully you can at least appreciate and sit back and realize what goes into making these things. It's a lot more than we can even fathom. Probably even more than we saw in that documentary. But uh, Star Wars is Star Wars, and we love it, and that's why we do what we do here. So uh, until next time, as always, from the three of us, see you around, kids.